How glory to your name, Lord. Your blood has changed everything. Your blood has changed everything, radically changed our lives, radically changed the way we relate to you, we relate to one another, and even the way we relate to ourselves. Lord, thank you for the new life that you've given us. Glory be to your name. Amen. Well, thank you very much. And hey, uh, kids, welcome. So good to see you tonight. Right now is the time for those pre-K through fifth grade. If you want to head on out, we've got some, uh, some friends who would love to be with you to uh, share some things about the Bible and about the Lord with you today that I know will bless you in some beautiful ways. Well, it is so good. I, I really enjoy uh, these Sundays. Uh, every, every Sunday I get to see somebody I haven't seen in like a year. And uh, it was great to see uh, Chris this morning and Parks Wilson. Parks, you promised me an amen or two, and I haven't heard you in a long while, so I'm looking forward to that here uh, today. Amen. There we go. He's back. <laughs> Uh, well, for those who know me, you know that uh, from my earliest days of following Jesus, I have, uh, have, I have felt the conviction that the Bible is really God's word, and that it really does hold full authority to tell me how I am supposed to live my life. Through those pages, God reveals for us who he is at his core, that he is loving, that he's gentle, that he's humble. Through those pages, he reveals who we are in his heart, that we are beloved and embraced and, and welcomed. Sometimes things in the scriptures are kind of hard to understand. Many times they are crystal clear. Today we're continuing our summer sermon series on the one another passages. These are the passages of scripture, New Testament, where, where the Holy Spirit through the pen of the, of the author is telling us how God wants us re to relate to one another. These passages, these one another passages are very clear. We understand what they say. So it's not so hard to understand it. What's the real challenge for us is in how to do what it says. And how do we do what it says with the right attitude, the attitude that he wants to see in that. So we have two short passages we're going to look at today. Both have to do with caring for one another. And uh, in both cases, I'm not just going to take the one verse that we've been focusing on. I'm going to expand that out a little bit so we get it in context. But I am going to boldface the singular verse we're looking at so you know what it is that's the focus of the moment. The first section comes from Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to look at verses 1 through 3. Verse 2 is our focus, but we'll look at verses 1 through 3. The Apostle Paul is writing, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, if, any, if another believer is overcome by some sin... You who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. <laughs> Crystal clear, right? <laughs> you know, Roman culture... Uh, placed a high priority on uh, the social status of things, right? So those who were on the higher rungs of the social ladder never would think to stoop to help somebody on a lower rung, and those in the lower rung could never expect to receive any kind of benefit from those in the higher rung. But Jesus looks at his people and he says, hey guys, in our family, we carry one another's burdens, no matter who they may be. Notice that in this specific case, the burden has to do with being overcome by a sin. So something has happened in the life of this brother or sister, and now this brother or sister is, is, is uh, provoking unrest, is envying in some way, is, is engaged in a desire that is outside of God's intent 
for that individual. So like when you see that in me, you're expected to gently and humbly come alongside me. Anytime you see those words gentle and humble, think about Jesus who's gentle and humble in heart. It's a reference back to him. So you are, you're expected to, like Christ, come alongside of me and help me walk his path. So let's think about that for a little bit, okay? So, so imagine if there's a, a direct path that we're supposed to walk, and that path is the Christ path. It, it represents living a healthy um, a life in Jesus Christ. And one day you're walking along that Christ path and you see me on that path and I'm struggling a little bit. I'm, I'm kind of stumbling off to one side. I'm stumbling off to the other. I'm having a hard time moving forward because there is a burden that I'm carrying. You can see that burden. You might know, not, not know exactly what it is, but you can see it. I can feel it. I may not know what it is, but I know something's up. Now, as, as you are walking along and you see me, you recognize that there is a good chance that, that I'm feeling some level of shame about this burden that I'm carrying. And so I don't want you to see it. I'm trying to hide it from you. But what happens if you approach me with the gentleness and humbleness of Jesus? The shame evaporates because you accept me as I am right then and there. And the guilt is gone because you forgive me in the same way that Jesus Christ has forgiven me, which is complete and full and immediate. And so in relating to me like this, you remove my reasons to hide my, my, my burden, and you remove my reasons to push you away, which is often what we want to do, right? We want to push other people away. That then allows me, that allows you to come alongside and to, to help me lift up this burden to figure out what it is and to continue to walk the Christ path to a point of greater health. Now, the larger biblical testimony makes it clear that burdens are not just sins, okay? Anything that is added to our lives that weighs us down and keeps us from standing and walking in Christ's path is a burden that some in the body of Christ are uniquely equipped to come alongside and help you carry. I mean, think about it, recovery from surgery, the birth of a child, COVID restrictions, moving, a season of depression, uh, anxiety that just kind of comes in and grips you. There are moments in life where things just get to be burdensome, right? It just gets to be more than we can handle. And when that happens, the Lord has people already planned who can come alongside and to help us carry that burden. Well, there's another side to this as well, isn't there? Because not only is it clear that we're supposed to to reach out and help others carry their burden. But the implied reality is, I need to be willing to let you come into my life and help me. This was something I didn't learn until later in my adult life. I mean, it, was, uh, it had been one month after the birth of our third child. Uh, Ann and I were still reeling under the diagnosis of what does this mean and how's, the, how's this gonna impact us and what's our future, what's his future and all this stuff. And, but the reality was it had been one month, right? And, and who needs to have more help beyond one month from a child's birth, right? So I'm feeling like, well, okay, we, we've, we've taken enough of the, of the body's uh, resources in this and their time. They need to give themselves to other folks. And so I started saying no when people were offering us help. And that's when dear Tom Saxon came up to me. <laughs> and with a loving intensity, he really just backed me up against a wall, and, and he looked me in the eye, he was just looking right up at me, he said, Rob Iman, you let the church be the church for you. 
And, and that's what did it for me. I had to let go of my pride, you know. I can do it myself. I had to let go of my pride. And that's when I began to willingly surrender to the Lord and to allow him to bring other people alongside. See, it had been a month, so we didn't need any more help, right? Hey, friends, it's been 27 years. And there are still, by God's grace, people with gifts and resources and a heart, and they feel the Lord leading them that surprise us and come along the way and, and help us with a burden that at times is too big for us to carry on our own. See, Jesus says, in our family, we act with love toward our brothers and sisters who are burdened by the weight of grief, worry, illness, sinful nature, or by anything that is too much for them to carry. Now, in just a few verses, Paul adds this interesting caveat. He says that we must each carry our own load. So we, we, we help one another carry burdens, but we must each carry our own load. There's, there's a load that we each have as responsibility. There are things we need to be doing and be about. We can't shuttle that off to other people and expect them to help us with the load we're to carry. But when that load has a burden applied to it, that's when the church steps in. That's a great discussion for another time. But for now, just recognize God calls us to carry one another's burdens and to receive the help that others are offering. Escalations. Our second passage doesn't just talk about what we're supposed to do. It also lays out the motivation behind it. It'll be Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. I'm going to expand that out and look at like Ephesians 4, verse 30, through chapter 5, verse 2. It's from the New Living Translation. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember... He has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Interesting, isn't it? Just think with me on this. You and I can grieve the Holy Spirit. When we choose to walk a path that is not the path God has set for us, we make him sad. When we choose to respond to others, with bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words. Think about some of the words you read on social media. Harsh words, slander. When we choose to act in all kinds of evil behavior, we grieve the Holy Spirit. It's like we say, I know that you told me I'm supposed to forgive this person and love this person, but after what they did for me, I just can't do it. You're asking too much. Whenever I hear that kind of line, from someone who follows Christ, that's just a, a, a real indicator that that dear soul still has some work to do to more fully embrace just what God has done for them through Christ. Paul writes, forgive one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Kind of reminds me of the parable of the king and the unmerciful servant. Remember that one? Where the king had a servant and the servant owed him, let's just say, $6 billion. It was a debt that he was unable to repay. And the servant said, but forgive me, I can't do this, it's too hard. And the king says, all right, I release you from your debt. You don't owe that to me anymore. 
And the, and then the servant takes off and he's so excited, but a couple hours later he bumps across a friend who owes him $60 and he will not forgive that debt. Christ is the merciful king who has forgiven us a debt that we could never hope to repay. When we recognize the full impact of what Jesus has done for us, it radically transforms the way that we relate to God, the way we relate to one another, and even the way we relate to ourselves. Now, this is where the attitude comes in, right? Because we know that we're called to be kind to one another. It's very clear. And so we like to do that. We, we are kind to each other. We, we carry another's burdens. We open doors. We smile. We're polite to them. We're kind to them. But look at what follows it. Kind and tender-hearted. Kind and compassionate. Because God is not just interested in changing what we do. He's interested in changing why we do it. God is in the business of transforming hearts to look more like his heart. And what motivates our heart is the first step in making that transformation. I think each and every one of us can be motivated by many things, right? I could be motivated um, to do something because you're watching me and I want you to like me. I could be motivated to do something because God told me to do it and I don't want to make him sad. I could be motivated to do something out of love for the person I'm with or love for the God who loves me. 1 Corinthians 13 says that if we do or say anything that is not motivated by a love, we're nothing more than a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Really? <laughs> Does that mean that anything I do or say that's not motivated by love is nothing more than a four-year-old child walking around the house banging a saucepan lid with a wooden spoon? You know, bang, 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 it's annoying. Really? So how does that work? Does a heart transformation bring changed actions or do changed actions bring a heart transformation? I think the answer is yes, <laughs> it's both. For every one, another passage involves a choice, right? God's word, he has the right to have authority over how we live. Will we believe God enough to do what he says? Sometimes we act out of love. Sometimes we act out of obligation, duty, fear, some lesser motivation. Sometimes, most times maybe, we act out of a mixture of both. But when we end up doing what God wants us to do, the important thing right now is not to worry about the heart's motivation. Don't start thinking, oh golly, am I loving enough in this? Don't, don't do that. Just do what God clearly tells you to do, and then be aware of your heart's inclination. Be aware of the direction that your heart is pointing as you're doing it. While you are doing what God wants you to do, notice if the heart is inclined toward love or maybe fear or maybe pride. And when the inclination becomes a little clear to you, just gently surrender it over to the Lord. Tell him what you found and ask him to deepen your love. Do this over time and watch what happens. It's amazing. Now, in our day, there are generally two paths that I think people travel. This is my own opinion. People travel for their uh, spiritual development in the Christian church, okay? The first path is a very common path that many people take. 
I'm just going to list it out for you here and I'll unpack it a bit. It begins with this. I recognize what God has done for me and I am in awe. Knowing what he requires of me, I respond with willful obedience to the one who gave his life for me. I reason, if Jesus did this for me, what can I do for him? Nothing is too small. Nothing is too big. This is honestly where I was for a long time. And it was, um, it, it was an idea of I, 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 could, I could will myself to follow and do what God has, has, has done for me, so I want to do for him. And a, a picture of that is, um, is found in a little phrase that just won't get out of my head at all. It's from a Keith Green song a long time ago, but it's one that used to come to me regularly. Some of you may know it. I think Bob White certainly knows it. Um, it goes like this. Jesus rose from the grave, and you, you can't even get out of bed. Come on, get out of your bed, Iman. You know, be willfully obedient and get the job done. Love that person well. That's what's going to happen, you know. With the attitude of willful obedience, I drive myself to do better. I drive myself to obey the Lord. And in the end, if it goes long enough, I will drive myself to one of three possible conclusions. I will wear out, I will flame out, or I will opt out. I think you know what I'm talking about here. I can wear out. There's just no gas left in the tank. There's no fuel left to burn. You are done. No, the worn out still love the Lord deeply, don't they? They still attend worship service. They still give to the work of Christ through the church. But the energy is gone. There's nothing else to give anywhere to anyone. That path can also lead one to flame out. And this is more a loss of zeal than a loss of fuel. It's often seen when a passion for Christ is replaced by a new flame as they give the fuel they have in their life to something different, a, a desire that is actually distracting from what Christ has called them to because it's just felt like this is just not working for me. So they apply their fuel to burn a different kind of flame. And finally, this path can also lead some to opt out, sadly. After years of trying to follow Jesus, these dear souls conclude that really maybe God's promises aren't true and that maybe, maybe they need to look for a different worldview, a different path that they can walk. That is a common path for many in our culture. But there is a path that does not lead to wearing out, flaming out, or opting out. There is a path that has just a slight adjustment at the front end that makes an entirely different experience. And I think this is the biblical path to spiritual growth and development. The path begins in the same way, but quickly forks into a different direction. It starts with this, I recognize what God has done for me and am in awe. Knowing what he requires of me, I respond in willing surrender. Not willful obedience, but respond in willing surrender to the one who loves me and now lives in me. With that attitude of willing surrender as my response of love to him, I practice what he has revealed, and he grows his character in me. As we choose to do what God says, it's clear in the word, okay, that's what I'm going to do. We choose to do what God says. We begin to monitor what's going on in our hearts. What's the inclination of our heart? And when we find things that are out of alignment, we gently just turn it back to the Lord, asking him to deepen our love, just being aware of it. And, and you'll find that as you do this over and over again, you begin to more clearly see what I call, or what Psalm 19 calls, hidden faults. 
you begin to more clearly see these things, these desires in you that you didn't even know you had or you knew you had them, but you didn't realize they went that deep. My own experience is I, I find things, I was like, I, really? That's in me? That motivation? And Jesus says, yeah, what do you want to do about it? Surrender it to me. And I get to the point sometimes where, you know, you have to be honest with Jesus, right? You just, just be honest with him. Let him know what's going on. And so I get to a point where I have to say to him, Lord, I know you want me to respond this way. Let's just say, you don't want me to be angry with this person. You want me to love this person and to go to him, but I don't want to because I'm ticked off. And so I have to get to the point where I say to the Lord, I don't want what you want for me. Really? Yeah, I'll tell you, everyone in this room has places where we don't want what God wants for us. It's just that way it is. It's part of human life, right? And so what we can do is bring the prayer back even one step further and say, but Lord, I want to want what you want for me. Help me want to want what you want more. Help me not want this thing in the world, but help me want to want what you want for me. I mean, just, it, it's an authentic conversation with one who will receive you with gentle humility. Don't hide the burden. Share it with Christ and see what he does with it. You know, the only way to improve our skill in like playing an instrument or playing a sport is by practicing that instrument or sport. Same thing is true with walking the path of Christ. The only way to improve our ability to care for one another is by practicing caring for one another. And in those moments where we miss the note or we miss the ball, that's okay. Take that moment to the Lord. Confess it to him. Ask him to receive it and to help you grow in that area. And in this way, God's spirit does not just change our actions. He transforms our hearts and grows us up into love. So what practical things can we do to help carry each other's burdens and to help be kind and compassionate to each other? Well, there's, 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 the list is just too big to make because every one of us has different gifts, skills, and abilities, right? You can apply a caring attitude and a caring, compassionate action in somebody's life in ways I can't do. But here are some practical things that every one of us can do. Prayer is a great place to start. Through prayer... We can help someone else carry their burden. And what's fascinating about prayer is, as, as I spend time praying for you, it inclines my heart toward you, it deepens my love for you, and it deepens my love for the one to whom I am praying. The great first step is just to pray for one another. Is somebody mourning? Go weep with them. Is someone sick? Go visit them. If someone burdened by a struggle that is just too great for them to bear, take them a meal, cut their lawn, do their laundry, come alongside of them in some way. Maybe it's provide respite care, give them a break from the burden they carry, help them carry it, and help them stay on the path of Christ. Be creative, whatever you do. Consider the gifts and the resources God has given you and simply ask the question, Lord, how can I use this in someone's life? And as you then use it, watch what happens. Watch what the Lord does in your heart, in your relationships, and in your congregation. Would you please pray with me? Lord Jesus, your word is crystal clear to us. Help us practice these essential things that you've made clear so that our love might deepen and our lives might fully imitate Christ. Christ, the one who loved us. Christ, the one who gave his life for us. Christ, the one who fills us even now. 
Help us want to want what you want more than the things of this world. Position us so that your life and your love might flow through us without limit.